Well, God bless you. Good morning. God bless you, my beloved. This is Miss Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord, Christian Fellowship. Coming to you with the second installment of our weekly telecast, broadcast, The Truth of the Gospel, The Truth of the Gospel. We're continuing to pray about the coronavirus uh, national, international crisis. We're continuing to pray about that. We're continuing to pray that God would supernaturally and through our acts of faith uh, um, sustain those churches that really love his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That, that the Lord, since the church is the body of Christ and of, of which Christ is the, <clears throat> excuse me, head, we pray that the Lord would supernaturally sustain the body because we know that when people don't physically meet, when they only meet by social media, electronic platform, such as Facebook Live, etc., we know that the offerings would tend to go down uh, for because of human nature and then many of the older people um, don't use the electronic platform, the older traditional uh, people who are used to giving by traditional envelope etc so in many cases even if offerings drop 10 15 20 percent 25 percent for some ministries that could be devastating there are many ministries who can survive that and there are probably many ministries or some ministries who uh, if they didn't foresee this they foresaw that something could happen and they established what i would call a joseph fund if you remember in the old testament Joseph had, uh, Pharaoh had the dreams of seven years of plenty in Egypt and then seven years of famine. He didn't understand the dream. And so he asked uh, Joseph about the dreams and the Lord had given Joseph the interpretation and Joseph told Pharaoh there would be seven years of plenty represented by the fat cows and seven years of famine represented by the emaciated, the skinny cows. And so uh, Pharaoh said, I need somebody to administrate this, this situation. I need an administrator. And Joseph said, you're talking to him right here. And so I call it Joseph Fund because, and hopefully going forward, maybe this is possible, where churches can put aside money uh, to survive something like this, maybe six months of their total income. I know that's, that may be difficult in some cases, but if not six months, three months, something because it's the coronavirus today and it could be the coronavirus next year. It could be something else. It could be something else. But anyway, we want to come to you this morning as we continue to pray for the nation and pray about the situation. But we're going to stay in the Word. We're going to stay focused on God's Word. I, I would not be distracted. I would not be distracted by anything from teaching God's Word. I do want to speak eventually on the coronavirus situation but I'm not ready to talk about it now. I haven't had a chance. And plus, I want to bring in some uh, people who have expertise in, in this area. Uh, what I want to do is bring it in from a theological point of view. But I want to also have some people uh, talk with me who are medical, who are healthcare professionals. And so I haven't uh, had a chance to arrange that yet. So I would like to talk about the, the uh, coronavirus situation. Uh, I think I have a name for it. I think I'm calling it Christ Coronavirus faith, foolishness, fear, uh, and prophecy, something like that. Uh, pestilence and prophecy, I believe I, it has kind of a long name. I would like to talk about it eventually. I just don't know when. 
But anyway, we're gonna we're gonna finish First John, chapter four today. First John chapter four. First John chapter four has twenty one verses. Friday evening, Thursday evening, because we changed our time to Thursdays at eight p.m. Thursday evening we did First John four one through twelve, and today we're going to do First John four thirteen through twenty one. And then that will be the end of First John 4. And then, Lord willing, this coming Thursday, we'll do the first half of First John. Well, let's see, First John 5. Yeah, we'll do the first half of First John 5. First John 5 also has 21 verses. So we'll do the first half of First John 5. And then Sunday, a week from today, uh, which would be April, I believe, 5th, we'll do the second half of First John 5. So let's let's do let's finish First John four today, and then we'll pick up at First John five next week. Let's pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our dear, precious Savior, the Savior of the world. We pray, Lord, for this country. We pray for the world. We pray especially for the saints. We pray for the churches that love you. We pray for those pastors, those leaders, who love you, Lord. We pray for those saints who love you that you would supernaturally sustain them. In this time of crisis, in this time of social distancing, in this time of physical separation, we pray, Lord, that you would just move in those churches in a tremendous way and sustain them. Bless people to continue to give so that your churches may be sustained. We ask by Jesus Christ, your dear Son, glory, power, majesty, and dominion belong to him forever. We pray that as a result of this teaching and preaching and teaching and preaching all over the world, we pray that there would be fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to your good, acceptable, and perfect will by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. All right, so we're going to do 1 John today 4. Let's pick up at verse 12, which leads into 13, which is where I want to start. 1 John four twelve, No one has seen God at any time. Now, that's going to be a very important statement because John is going to build on that statement to make another point about love. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. I was saying uh, Friday, Thursday, I keep saying Friday, but I was saying Thursday, that as harsh as, as, uh, as, for, as, as the Apostle John seems in this epistle, I mean, he, he's, sw- he's swinging the sword of the Spirit like, you know, very, very, you know, very forceful manner and it's not him it's the holy spirit who has inspired him but as harsh as the apostle john seems in in this epistle and in his other two epistles that follow yet permeated throughout the epistle is the is the concept of love that god loves us and we are to love one another and that if we don't love each other we don't really love god so this epistle is not just condemnation, 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 oh, you sinners, oh, you antichrist. No, even though that information is in there, permeated throughout this epistle and his, his other two epistles, because there's Second John and Third John, permeated throughout th- these three epistles is the concept of Christian love. Love for God, which is the greatest commandment, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love for God, but also love for the brethren. So this is not just, you know, hammer, hammer, hammer away. It's also the velvet glove of love, okay? 
All right, so no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. So what John is saying is love is the Christian imperative. We must have love. You can't say you love God. You can't say you love his son, Jesus Christ. But you don't love his people. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. Every true believer has been given uh, a measure of the Holy Spirit. We, we don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit because if we had the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we would be God. Only Jesus, as far as walking on earth, only Jesus had the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I believe. I believe John 3 and 34 makes that point. It's very important. We, we have of his spirit. The Bible says he has given us of his spirit. The Bible says that we've been given the measure of his spirit. We've been given, uh, the Bible says we've been given the earnest, God has given us the earnest of his spirit as a down payment, like earnest money. If you want to buy a house, you put down earnest money. You're, you're saying, I want to, it's not the whole house. It's not the whole payment for the house. The house might cost $500,000. You might put down 10000 saying, I, we want this house earnest money. So God has given us the earnest of his Holy Spirit. But notice about Jesus, for he whom God has sent speaks the word of words of God, but God gives not the spirit by measure unto him. Jesus did not have the spirit by measure. He had the fullness of the Holy Spirit because he's God. We don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. If we had the fullness of the Holy Spirit, then we would be Jesus. Jesus. And there are some who are teaching that that we, in essence, are gods. And they quote some scripture in the Old Testament, have not I said ye are gods, etc. And they, they misinterpret that. But we are not gods. We are human. We are believers in Jesus. We've been given, the Greek is ek pneumatos. Ek is a preposition means out of. One of the most important prepositions in the Bible. Pneumatos is, is the Greek word for Holy Spirit in this case. So we've been given ek pneumatos. We've been given out of his spirit. We don't have the fullness of the spirit. If we had the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we would, we would operate just like Jesus does did. And we don't operate just like Jesus did. We follow him, but we don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Where we can, uh, we, we, we don't, we can't give another Olivet Discourse. Only Jesus could give an Olivet Discourse where he could prophesy thousands of years into the future. Uh, we, 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 we can't walk on water. Don't try it. Please do not try to walk on water. You're going to sink. <laughs> we can't walk on water. We don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We have a measure of the Holy Spirit. And because we have a measure of the Holy Spirit, this is what God has, by his, uh, by his divine will, he has given us. He's given us a measure. He has given us ek pneumatos. He has given us out of his spirit. God is so powerful, he can give us out of his spirit and we can still operate the way that he wants us to. But we don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that, you know, people will say, no, you, we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, the works that I do, you shall do also. Well, of course he said the works that I do. He's probably talking about in uh, quantity, not in quality. In quantity, not in quality. You're not going to do works that are superior to Jesus in quality. That's, that would be impossible. 
but we can do work. We, we've already done works that, that exceed his in quantity. You could preach one sermon now and reach more people in one 30-minute or hour sermon than Jesus reached in his three and a half years of ministry. So he had to be talking about in quantity, not in quality. All right. So it says in 1 John, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit, eknumatos, out of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son <coughs> to be the Savior of the world. Pollen. Pollen. Has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. The Bible says in another place, in 1 Corinthians 12, no man can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who gives that revelation. It is the Holy Spirit who, the Bible says, opens the eyes of our understanding and gives that revelation. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Hmm, that's interesting. Especially in this time of national and international crisis, there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. Hmm. I wonder why uh, we as believers, true believers, I wonder why we're not, for the most part, we're not afraid of this whole coronavirus situation. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to go out and act stupid and, you know, shake a thousand people's hands and hug 500 people's hands and let people cough on us. That's not faith. That's stupidity. But I wonder why those of us who are mature believers, we're not afraid. Because there's no fear in love. And also those of us who study the Bible, study the prophetic parts of the Bible, we know that these things, the Bible says these things would come to pass. The Bible says, I'll give you Luke 21, 11, that in the last days, and I know Luke, I know Luke 21, 11 is tied into the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. I get that. The Olivet Discourse is talking about a time that has not come yet the seven years of tribulation, etc. And I am a pre-trib person, pre-millennial. I am a pre-trib, pre-mill pre person. But it doesn't mean that the events talked about in the Olivet Discourse, it doesn't mean that those events cannot exist to a lesser degree leading up to the seven years of tribulation, the abomination of desolation, the re revelation of the Antichrist, etc. It doesn't mean that, that there can't be earthquakes that lead up to that period or that there cannot be plagues and pestilences that lead up to that period. And so we are living in the last days. We've been living in the last days for about 2,000 years. John says it in this epistle. that the, uh, He says that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists by which you know that this is the last hour. He said that 2,000 years ago. So prophetically an hour is not 60 minutes. An hour can be a period of time, a dispensation of time. And right now we are in the dispensation of grace. How long this dispensation will last, we don't know. Nobody knows. But we, presently we are in the dispensation 
of grace. All right. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. I believe the King James says torment. Fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. And perfected in the Bible normally indicates a state of maturity. It talks about how Jesus was perfected. Uh, it just meant, means that his ministry reached its point of maturation, which of course culminated in him going to the cross and being raised from the dead, etc. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love, meaning that that place of maturity has not yet been accomplished. We love, John says, 1 John four nineteen. we love because he first loved us. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, Jesus said. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit of that. Your fruit should remain. So we love, not because we are so intrinsically good. We're not. We're depraved sinners. But because God loved us, he saved us, and the Bible says he gave us of his Holy Spirit, and the Bible says that Holy Spirit, uh, it says the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given unto us. So John says, don't get it twisted. We love because he first loved us. We didn't love him first. John says, John says, don't get it twisted. We didn't love him first. He loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, John says, you're lying. See, again, we, there's that, that part of the epistle where John says, you. John says, you're a liar. You're a mentoroso. You're a liar. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. John says the two are antithetical to each other. You cannot say you love God and you hate your brother. You cannot. It's, it, it, the two are antithetical to each other. You cannot. You cannot. You cannot say you love God and you hate your brother. John says you're a liar for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen. That's why he made the point a few, a few verses ago. He says no one has seen God at any time. He says it in verse 12. Whoever says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. The Greek word for brother is where we get the word Philadelphia. Adelphi, a brother would be, or the brethren, the plural would be Adelphi. Philadelphia, love of the brethren. Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, right? So the one who loves God should love his brother. Also, we're compelled to, we're called upon to love everybody. But the Bible does say we should especially, especially, especially do good, which would include love, uh, under those who are of the household of faith. And uh, that, that scripture is in uh, Galatians 6 and 10. Do good to all, but especially unto those who are of the household of faith. Now, so God, God does make a difference there. The household of faith should be our main priority. That's what the Bible says. The household of faith should be our main priority. We should love everyone. But uh, our, our, our particular attention should be those who are of the household of faith. 
We should love everybody. As God so loved the world. But our particular attention should be toward the household of faith. It says that in Galatians 6 and 10. All right, so that was that, that's the end of 1 John 4. Let me read my outline to you. And then we'll uh, close in a few minutes. The Truth of the Gospel, Sunday morning, March 22nd. Verses 13 through 15. All true believers in Jesus have an abiding presence. The witness of the Holy Spirit. All true believers have an abiding presence. The witness of the Holy Spirit. All true believers in Jesus Christ have an abiding presence. The witness of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit witnesses that we are the children of God. And the Holy Spirit also allows us to witness to others that we are the children of God. Not only by the words that we speak, but by our actions toward one another. The greatest of those actions being love. Biblical love. Agape love. This abiding witness gives us the strength, courage, and revelation knowledge to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. Even to the point of death, if necessary. If you look at the Greek word for witnesses, it's the same word or root word where we get the word martyr. If you look at the Greek word, it's the same root word where we get the word martyrs. Witnesses for Jesus, martyrs. If need be, martyrs for the faith. In other words, our witness for Christ should include, if necessary, the giving of our lives. If we really love Jesus the way we say we do, we should be willing to give our lives. Not only for Jesus, but for the brethren. That's Bible. John talks about it. I know I don't know what verse it is, but it's in uh, it's, it's in this epistle. It might be in chapter five, which we'll talk about next week. So the root word for witnesses is the word from where we get the word martyrs. This abiding witness gives us the strength, courage, and revelation knowledge to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. I remember Paul talked about one of his traveling companions. It might have been Epaphroditus, who, um, um, who, who, who worked for the cause of Christ even to the point where he almost died. He was sick. I don't know what the sickness was. But Paul said, but the Lord had mercy on him. And... Uh, brought him back to health and had mercy on me also Paul said lest I should be swallowed up with sorrow upon sorrow verses 16 through 21 which would end chapter 4 love is the Christian imperative imperative means it's a command God is not saying I desire God is not saying I hope God is not saying I wish God is not saying would you please God is commanding us who love one another. God is commanding us to love one another. Love is the Christian imperative. By this we mean true biblical love is both the distinguishing feature of and the divine command for all true believers. By this we mean love, agape love that is, is both the distinguishing feature of and the divine command for all true believers, all true believers, 
black, white, Latin American, Asian, African, African American, Native American, continental Indian. Love is a commandment. And where love is lacking in the church, the witness of the Holy Spirit is lacking in the church. Where love is lacking in the church, the power, the witness, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit is also lacking. Where we're fighting one another, where Paul says we're fighting one another to the point that we'll devour each other, where we're fighting one another over who's going to be in what position and who's going to be the BMOC, the big man or big woman on campus. Where, where we're fighting over you know, what color the carpet should be. and Where we're fighting and fighting and fighting. Yes, we should stand for biblical truth. I get that. But where we're fighting one another, Paul says, take heed lest ye devour one another. And that's something that we should understand also as a nation. If we fight one another over you know, red states and blue states, we're gonna, if we're not careful, we'll have another civil war like we did 150 or 60 or 70 years ago. Love is both a distinguishing feature of and the divine command for all true believers. Without the true biblical love, this agape love, we miserably fail to demonstrate that God in Christ has transformed our lives. Without love, there's no evidence that God has transformed us. This collar I'm wearing around my neck, that's not evidence that God has transformed my life. That's evidence that I'm an ordained minister, I'm ordained clergy. That's not evidence that, that, that God has transformed my life. This is just evidence that I'm an ordained minister. I'm ordained in the Baptist church. But that's not evidence that I've been transformed. It is a sign that is not the sign. Like my wedding ring is a sign that I'm married. But it is not the only sign because my behavior should back up the fact that I'm wearing a wedding ring. If the behavior doesn't back it up, then the wedding ring is merely an empty symbol. If I don't have love, this collar around my neck is simply a collar around my neck. If I don't have love, if I don't, if I don't fulfill the, the, the Christian imperative to love. So without true biblical love, we miserably fail to demonstrate that God in Christ has transformed our lives. Our Lord Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Listen to this. He didn't say if you wear a clergy collar. He didn't say if you belong to a denomination. These are all outward trappings. He said, by this all men shall know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13, 35. Let me read it again. Our Lord Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13, 35. There cannot be a disconnect. And I'm going to close here in a few minutes. There cannot be a disconnect between our love for God and our love for others. Let me say that again. There cannot be a disconnect between our love for God and our love for others. 
we must especially love the holy brethren. We must especially love, this is Bible, we must especially love the holy brethren. The, uh, the, those who are in the household of faith, Galatians 6 and 10, do good unto all men, but especially unto those who are of the household of faith. Household of faith, household of faith, will be those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those who are followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So God bless you, my beloved. That's 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 21. That's the end of 1 John chapter 4. We're going to do 1 John chapter 5 Thursday. Remember, we changed from Friday night to Thursday evening, Thursday at um, 8, 8 p.m. from Friday. So now, we're, so now we're broadcasting on Thursdays at 8 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. So Thursday, 8 p.m., Lord willing, we'll do 1 John chapter 5. And uh, we'll do half the chapter. I believe it also has 21 uh, verses. Let me read what we're going to do Thursday evening, then we'll close. This is 1 John chapter 5. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. 1 John chapter 5. This is what we'll talk about Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Lord willing. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father, there, 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 there's that love imperative. Again, that love, that love imperative is, is woven throughout the whole epistle. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. Notice, as I said, there cannot be a disconnect between loving God and loving the brethren. He's talking about the brethren here, the holy brethren, the children of God. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Here he's not talking about a bunch of legalistic commandments. He's not talking about legalism here. He's just talking about obeying Jesus. Walking in the footsteps of the Messiah. Obeying our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You want to overcome? If you're born of God, you can overcome. If you're not born of God, if you haven't been born again, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, if you haven't been born again by the Spirit of God, you're not going to overcome. Because to overcome, you have to be in that spiritual relationship with the Lord, right? So, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You hear that? He keeps, he keeps going back to that same thing. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood. Mm, he came by water and blood. Glory to God. The, the teaching in that, at that time, and it exists even today, the teaching at that time was that because matter is evil, that God could not become flesh in, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So the teaching at that time, which was Gnosticism, was that there's no way that God would become flesh in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. 
So John says right here, John says he came by water and blood. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and the Roman soldiers were going to break the legs of the people on the cross with him, crosses with him, and they broke their legs. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs, which fulfilled a prophecy that said, not a bone of the lamb of God, the Passover lamb, not a bone of the Passover lamb shall be broken. So instead of breaking Jesus' legs because he was already dead, the Roman soldier put a spear in his side. What came out? Water and blood. Glory to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Water and blood came out. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus the Messiah. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. Jesus was totally God and totally man. The only exception being he was not born in sin. He was born of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. But he was totally man. And when he rose from the dead, he made sure his disciples knew that it was a physical resurrection. That's why when his disciples rose from the dead, he appeared unto them many times. Not only did he appear unto them, but he ate with them. Remember, he, 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 they saw him, he was cooking the fish, and he ate the fish with them in the honeycomb, etc. He was letting them know, because Jesus knew that there would be these false teachings about how he didn't rise from the dead, and it was only a... Uh, a phantasm, a, a ghost, uh, an optical illusion. You had all these theories. Jesus knew these false teachings would arise. So he made sure his disciples knew that his resurrection was a physical manifestation of God raising Jesus from the dead. He was physically raised from the dead. Remember, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe all this unless I can touch the scars in his hands and put my hand in his side. About a week later, Jesus showed up and said, Come here, Thomas. Put your hand here. Put your hand in my side. Glory to the Lamb of God. Be not faithless, but believe. Thomas said, My Lord and my God. In other words, Jesus gave plenty of proof. The Bible calls them infallible proofs. Proofs that cannot be legitimately contradicted. Infallible means without error. Like we say, God is infallible. He's without error. We are fallible. We, we make mistakes. God is infallible. So the Bible says in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus showed himself alive by many infallible proofs to above 500 brethren. It says that in 1 Corinthians 15. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only but with water and blood. Watch this. It is the Spirit who testifies. One of the main ministries of the Holy Spirit is to testify about Jesus. Jesus said before he was crucified, when he was in the upper room with his disciples, he said, the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own, but what he hears, that will he speak. He shall glorify me, and he will show you things to come. It is the Spirit. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, Nobody speaking by the Holy Spirit can throw Jesus under the bus. Nobody speaking by the Holy Spirit can say Jesus be accursed. Nobody can say that Jesus is Lord, hallelujah, except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to open the eyes of our understanding and give us that revelation. It is the Spirit who testifies. Demonic spirits test a lie. 
The Holy Spirit testifies. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Jesus said he is the Spirit of truth because the Holy Spirit is God and God cannot lie. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then the Holy Spirit, who is the third uh, person of the Trinity, then has to be the spirit of truth. Jesus said that the devil is the father of every lie. He is antithetical to those things of God. It is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. Remember, the Bible has a principle that says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every truth is established. Here's that principle right here. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. Didn't God say several times, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Didn't he say that the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus took James, John, and Peter to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah appeared talking to Jesus and, the, and, and then the, uh, a voice came out of the cloud, the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved son talking about Jesus. Hear ye him, not hear ye Moses, not hear ye Elijah, but hear ye him because Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Didn't the Father say at the baptism when John baptized Jesus and Jesus came out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested upon Jesus? Didn't the Father uh, say, bearing witness, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased? If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony, I'm, I'm going to really talk about that next week. I could spend an hour and a half on that passage. We believe whatever men tell us. I took my son out, my grandson outside the other night, and there was the moon, and there was like a star sitting above the moon. And from what I've been told, that's Venus. And I wanted, I wanted my grandson to see that. But I, I believe that because some scientists said you can see Venus in the night sky during the month of March. And I, here, I'm receiving that testimony. What John said, you receive the testimony of men. The witness of God is greater. We, we believe that in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. None of us were there, but yet we believe that in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. We received the witness. Oh, I can preach on that for about three hours. We received the witness of men. The Bible says the witness. Oh, I'm going to have fun with that one. You might have to hold me down on that one. The witness of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this. That he has testified concerning his son. His son, of course, being Jesus. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Do you believe in Jesus? You have that inner witness, the Holy Spirit. Do you believe in Jesus? You've got that inner witness. You've got that inner witness. And if you really have that inner witness within you, it burns within you. And you want to share it with others. He has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has called God a liar. When you say Jesus is not the son of God, when you say Jesus is not Lord, when you even go so far as to, <coughs> excuse me, when you even go so far as to say that, that Jesus was a myth and a false prophet and a bootleg preacher, you're calling God a liar.
You call God. That's one thing to call me a liar. You're calling God a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. You're calling God a liar. And you say Jesus was just a prophet like Muhammad or, you know, like Buddha, a great moral teacher. That Jesus was no better than the Dalai Lama. You're calling God a liar. God testified and said, this is my son, capital S-O-N. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So it's one thing to call me a liar. It's one thing to call Reverend or Bishop so-and-so. You're calling God a liar. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're calling God a liar. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son, well, listen to this, and I'm going to close right here. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I love when John uses these biblical absolutes because the Bible is a book of absolutes. There are gray areas in the Bible, especially with cultural issues. There are gray areas. But when it comes to doctrines such as who Jesus is, etc., they are absolutes. John says, he who has the son has eternal life. He who denies the son, who rejects the son, does not have eternal life. In John 3.36, says the wrath of God abides on over that person. He who has the Son, verse 12, and I'm going to stop here. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. There's an old saying, you're either pregnant or you're not. <laughs> and so John says you're either a believer in Jesus or you're not. God bless you, my beloved. We'll come to you again, Lord willing, on Thursday of next week. And uh, we'll, we'll, what I'll do is I, um, I'll pick up here. I'll go back through these first verses of 1 John chapter 5. I may just do the whole chapter. I don't know. I try not to go more than an hour or so. It doesn't bother me. I can go three or four hours, but I, I want you to be able to listen. So I try to limit it to about an hour or so. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, we bless you, we praise you. We continue to pray for the nation and for the world, but we especially pray for, Lord, those churches that love you, those pastors, those believers who love you, who love your dear son, Jesus. We pray that you will supernaturally sustain them financially, spiritually, relationally, covenantally. Sustain them by your power and your glory. For this pestilence, this plague is nothing to you, Father, for you've seen it all. You are the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. This is nothing to you, Lord. There's nothing outside the, the your power, your authority. That Lord, there's nothing outside of your power and authority. For you are the beginning and the end. Blessed be your name. Bless the people, Lord. Bless this teaching and this preaching, and bless those who willingly heard. I pray they will have a, a ear to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. I pray not only for this teaching and preaching, but I I pray that teaching and preaching all over the world, Lord whether by social media or other means, I pray, Lord, that all teaching and preaching that honors you, that honors your son, Jesus, will bear fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Blessed be your name forever. Blessed be the kingdom, power, glory, majesty of thy dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Forgive us for our sins. Help us to say no to sin, to, to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets us. Help us to run with patience the race that is set before us. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, Lord, not on our circumstances. 
Help us to keep our eyes on him who is the author and the finisher of our most holy faith. By Jesus Christ, glory, power, majesty, eternal kingdom forever, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you, my beloved. We'll come back on Thursday evening, Lord willing, at 8 p.m. We'll go back into 1 John chapter 5, which is the last chapter in this epistle. And then we'll take it from there. You be strong out there. You continue to practice your social distancing. Continue to practice other hygienic uh, hygienic uh, practices that lessen the chance for you to catch the coronavirus. Remember, faith is not stupid. Faith and foolishness are not the same. Have faith in God, but it doesn't mean to, to act foolishly, to act stupidly. God bless you. You pray for me. Bathe me in prayer. Bathe me in prayer. Bathe me in prayer. Bathe me in prayer if you'd like to. Uh, well, we'll talk about that another time because we can't try to even get any social engagements now because because we're not uh, we're, we're practicing social distancing. Okay. God bless you, my beloved. Thursday evening, eight p.m. The truth of the gospel. Hallelujah. You better walk in the truth of the gospel. I pray that God's blessings will be upon you, your family, and all, uh, all in your orbit, in your life's orbit. God bless you. Take care. Bye bye.